Well, hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. Hey, we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, a special thanks to our worship team today for leading us in that time of worship. We are so blessed to have such a phenomenal worship team. We uh, today had uh, Danielle and Amy, and then we had uh, Vanessa, Chuck, Ed, and Judy. Uh, we're up here in case you don't know who they are, but we have so many others that are a part of that that are not up here today, weren't up here today, and we are just grateful for them. I think I said last time that... Um, Worship really prepares the way for the coming of the Word of God. I believe it just opens the door. It prepares the heart. There's a couple of things that happen through worship. One is the reminder of who we are in Christ, who we are in God, and that's part of the reminder of worship. And the second part of that is glorifying and recognizing who God is, the power of who God is, the majesty of who God is. Now, the last song that we sang, the uh, the, the the song uh, dealing with Yahweh, you may have never heard that name before. You may be singing that thinking, what kind of a cult is this place uh, singing that? But that is something you're going to learn about today, and you'll have more of an understanding today based upon the word of God today. Um, somebody's car alarm uh, is going off, so you may want to handle that. All right. Anyway, we are going to get into this today and just get a reminder of who God is. Now, this series, God Is, started last week, and the whole purpose of it is to try to understand what the Bible tells us about the God we worship. Too many people come to God but really don't know God because they haven't spent time understanding who God is. In fact, it says in the book of Jeremiah, these words... But let one who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me. God wants us to know him. For I am Adonai who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight. This is what God delights in when we know him. It is a declaration. It is a uh, promise of God. He delights when we take time to know him, when we spend time with him, and we are doing just that as we go through the series of just getting to know him. So what we're going to do in this, and I don't know how long this is going to last exactly, but we are going to take the attributes of God that the Bible says, and we are going to talk about them every week as we go forward. So, we talked about last week the fact that he is Elohim. Now, Elohim is this picture of God from the very beginning. Uh, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word just refers to and means the eternal, powerful God who gives existence and meaning to all human life. The one supreme and true God who is personally knowable as well. The God who contains within himself all of divinity. In the beginning of... Uh, of creation, God is the one who created, and he created as the all-powerful supreme God, the eternal God, the one has, who has always existed, who always will exist. In the beginning, 
God created, and as he created, he created mankind to have relationship with him. That in the garden, mankind got everything that they needed from God. They worshiped God, they connected to God, they were alive in God. In the very beginning, Elohim, when he created, had exclusive rights that were only his. He had the power to control his creation. He had the right to judge and set the standards for his creation, and he is the one that deserves all praise. And so in the garden, they were connected to God, recognizing that. God, we will worship you. We will praise your name. We will recognize that you're in control, that you set the standards of life. And in that relationship, we reflected the glory and the image of God. When Satan came in and tempted Adam and Eve and they pulled away from God, essentially what they did was they left God and they said, we can find our existence and meaning in ourselves on our own. So what did mankind do? We tried to seek control for ourselves. Rather than relying upon, upon God's control, we want to be in control. We want to set the standards. God, I don't want to follow your standards. They're wrong. So I want to set my own standards of what is right and wrong and moral and good. And God, I am the one that wants praise. I will deny praise to you. I want praise for myself. And so we have disconnected from God, tried to live life on our own. When you come to Christ, when you come come to a relationship with Jesus, you are getting back in alignment with God, where you start to recognize that he alone is what I need for life, for existence, for meaning, and for purpose. He alone is in control. He is the judge. I will praise him, and you get connected to him that way. That's Elohim. He is the eternal God, the powerful God, the creator God, the supreme God. Today, we're going to move on to part two, and we're going to look today at the fact that God is the I am, the I am. Let's pray, and let's jump into this story. Father, we thank you for this day. We praise you. We want to honor you and glorify you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear from you today, that we would recognize that you are the great I am, that you are the covenant-keeping God, the promise-keeping God, the God who desires relationship with his people. You are a God who is not distant and disengaged, but you are a God who is intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. The creator of the universe who cares about each one of us individually. It's an amazing thing, Lord, that you would love us the way that you do, that you would desire a relationship with people like us, I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged and convicted today. I pray, Father, that you would give me the words to say that it would not be my feeble words, but it would be words of yours so that you will receive the glory and the honor and the praise that you are due. Touch our hearts, change our minds, and help us to walk closer and closer with you as we go through life. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to turn today to the book of Exodus. So if you have a Bible and you're going to follow along in the Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 3. The words will also be on the screen. I, I would encourage you to make sure you have a Bible and you are studying the Bible. Uh, you can use some of the apps on your phone or on a tablet, but there's nothing like having the Word of God in your hands, the paper uh, version of it, and using that for your own personal study time. Now, again, just a little bit of a timeline. When we come to the book of Exodus, we are coming about 1,500 years after the time of creation. 
I'm sorry, about 2,500 years after the time of creation. You had creation and then 1,000 years until you got to the person of Noah. After you get to the person of Noah, there's another 1,000 years until you get to the person of Abraham. After Abraham, there's about 500 years until you get to the person of Moses, and then another 500 years until you get to David, followed by an additional 1,000 years until you get to the time of Jesus. When we read the Bible, we often read it condensed, thinking it all happens simultaneously because the pages are close together. But really, it's a long period of time, 2,500 years from the time of creation to the story that we are going to see today. In Exodus chapter 3, you probably know the story, if you've seen the movie at least, you know the story of Moses. Moses was miraculously saved when they were killing babies. They were killing babies. The Pharaoh wanted all of the males killed of the Hebrew women. Moses was miraculously saved. He was put in a basket hidden in the river found by Pharaoh's daughter. That whole picture, the whole scene that was going on was God's intervention. Moses was going to be the deliverer of the people. He was Israeli by birth. He was a part of the Hebrew children. He, when he found out his birthright, when he realized God had a call on his life, he wanted to try to do that in his own strength. Well, what he did in trying to do that in his own strength is he murdered an Egyptian, buried the body, hoping nobody would find it. That was his way of trying to deal with this. Well, being found out, being scared, he ran for his life and he went into the wilderness for 40 years. In the wilderness, he just lived a different life. He he really just reestablished his life. He basically uh, built a new life with a new family, got married, had kids, tended sheep, lived in community with his family, but God's call never disappeared from his life. By the way, that's a good reminder for some of us. God has a call on your life, and perhaps you have been running from that call for years. God's call does not change. It has not gone away. It is still there, and maybe it's just time to get back into alignment with him and fulfill the call that he has had on your life. Maybe it's a call to ministry. Maybe it's a call to a certain kind of career. Maybe it's a call to do something for his sake. Whatever that call is, God's call does not change. As Moses was there in the wilderness, as he was there living his own life apart from the people of God, just doing his own thing, tending the sheep, raising the family, God came back and reminded Moses of the call. And this was a miraculous event that happened in this thing that we refer to as this burning bush experience. We're going to pick it up in chapter 3, and then we are going to understand the name of God as we get through these 14 verses. So let's look at this together. Now Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. So he led the flock to to the farthest ends of the wilderness, coming to the mountain of God to Horeb. Then the angel of Adonai, now many people refer to, many theologians think that anytime there's that reference, the angel of the Lord or the angel of Adonai, it's where Jesus actually showed up in the Old Testament. Now it's just a theory, possibly. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire within a bush. So he looked and saw the bush burning with fire, yet the bush was not being consumed. It was not being burnt up, so it was almost like the flame enveloped the bush, but it did not touch the bush or, or cause the bush to burn. Moses thought, 
I will go now and see this great sight. Why is the bush not burnt? When Adonai saw that he turned to look, so in other words, when, when God got Moses' attention and Moses turned and actually paid attention to God, then God spoke. By the way, that's another good reminder for us today. Sometimes God is trying to get your attention through burning bush experiences, and you're just not turning and actually paying attention and looking. There's times in our lives that we just need to turn away and look toward God and what God is trying to accomplish. We get so busy and consumed with things in life that we just don't turn aside and pay attention to what God is doing. There's miraculous ways that God speaks, not just through burning bushes. He speaks through all kinds of situations and all kinds of things. Sometimes it's a situation you go through. Sometimes it's a person you run into. And at times we just have to turn aside and pay attention to what God is doing. Once Moses finally did, then God spoke to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. So Moses answered, here I am. Then God said, come no closer, take your sandals off your feet, for the place you are standing is holy ground. You're having an unholy encounter with God. Turn aside, pay attention, take off your shoes, because this is a holy moment. Again, we have those kind of holy moments where God is saying, take off your shoes, turn aside, and pay attention to me, because I am doing something holy right now in your midst. Moreover, God said to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of, Jacob, uh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, so Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then Adonai said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their slave masters, for I know their pains. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out of that land into a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, into the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. Moreover, I have seen the oppression that the Egyptians have inflicted on them. Come now, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? You ever have one of those moments? This is a side note. This could be a whole other sermon, but we don't have time for that. But you ever have one of those notes where God has got a call on your life, he's telling you to do something, and you say to him, Who am I? I can't do that. I can't do what you're calling me to do. Don't you remember all the failures that I've had? Don't you remember the mess-ups? Don't you remember when I killed that Egyptian and buried his body? Don't you remember when I ran away? I have disqualified myself. I can't do anything for you. Who am I that you would possibly send? Can't you send somebody else? You ever have a moment like that where you say to God, can't you just send somebody else? I, I can't do this. Surely you have somebody else in mind. And God says to him these words. He says, I will surely be with you. See, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about the fact that God says, I will be with you. Even when you feel the most disqualified or even when you feel the most like you do not have the skills and abilities to do what he is calling you to do, God comes in and reminds you and says, I will be with you. It's not about you. It's completely about him. 
And when we serve him and honor him, we do so in his strength, not our own. So he says to Moses, I, I, I don't, it, it's not about who you are, Moses. I still got a call in your life. And I know you've messed up, and I know you feel disqualified, but I am calling you, and I promise you that I will be with you. Keep going. So that will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you, because I'm going to help you, and I'm going to be with you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, now, now suppose, God, I go back to the people that are stuck in bondage, and I say to them uh, that, uh, that, that the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what is his name? What should I say to them? Well, God answered and said to Moses, I am who I am. When I read that, Instantly, my mind goes to Popeye. I, now, some of you, that would not, some of you would have, how many of you have absolutely no clue what I'm talking about when I say that reference to Popeye? Okay, do you guys remember the cartoon Popeye? I am what I am, or I am's what I am. That's what I think of, but that's not what it is, so don't take it irreverently or wholly. It's just my wanderings in my mind. Uh, then God said, you are to say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, you are to say to the children of Israel, Adonai, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name. I am who I am. This is my name. It's forever. And the name by which I should be remembered from generation to generation. God is saying, this is my name, this is how I am to be remembered from this time forward. If you don't know my name, you don't really know who I truly am. Now, why would he say that? Well, in the ancient world, names communicated something about a person's character. Names were a descriptive word that used were used to describe the kind of person that people were. It's not really used in that way today, but it was in that day. For example... In the Bible, the word Adam just means man. The word Eve means living. The word Noah would mean rest. We rest in God alone. The word Abraham means the father of a multitude. That's why Abram's name was changed to Abraham, because he had a new purpose and a new character. He was going to be the father of a multitude of nations. Sarai, Abram's wife, her name was changed to Sarah, which means the mother of a multitude. So there's a meaning behind the names. The word, the word Jesus is the word that means Savior, the word Yeshua in Hebrew. It means Savior. It means to save their people from, or his people from their sins. Names always meant something. Again, names don't really mean anything in our day. Let me give an example of that. My name is Aaron. Some of you know that. Some of you didn't know that that's what my name was. But my name is Aaron. My mom, who's probably watching this right now, I love you, mom. But <laughs> I'll say that with a little but in there. My mom spelled my name E-R-I-N. That name, I looked up the definition, means the daughter of Ireland. 
I always thought it meant the son of Ireland, but when I looked at the, the website behind it, it means the daughter of Ireland. Most female spellings of the name Erin, R-E-R-I-N. I have only run into two people in my life in 50 years of life that have had the same name, the same spelling as a man. Now, because of that, because of that, I have gotten all kinds of mail in the mailbox addressed to Miss Aaron Youngs. By the way, if, that, if I get a letter like that, it automatically goes in the garbage. I do not even open it. I will not give them the time of the day. I've also gotten free sets of pantyhose in the mail because my name is spelled E-R-I-N. Names in that day meant something in particular. Names in our day often don't mean as much. They don't really carry as much weight as they did then. I just want you to understand that in the biblical world, names mattered. Jacob, in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, his his name meant heel grabber. He was a twin, and he came out second grabbing on the heel of his brother Esau, When Jacob wrestled with God, God said, you're no longer Jacob, your name is now Israel. He would be the father of this nation that we know as Israel, and his sons would be the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Names always meant something. It does in this case as well. God is revealing something to his people through his statement that this is my name. My name is the I am. The I am who I am. And I want to try to explain to you what that name means and how we can relate to that today. The word I am in the Hebrew is a, what's called a tetragrammaton. It's four Hebrew letters that we have displayed, and we usually display them in English letters. YWHW, but those are four letters that are really in Hebrew, and the letters that, they're, that are there in Hebrew are what's called the, the Yod or the Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey. Those are the words, yod, hey, vav, hey. Sometimes the vav, oftentimes the vav is pronounced with a W-A sound, so it's yod, hey, wa, hey. So when God says, this is my name, what he is saying is, my name is yod, hey, wa, hey, or if you put the words together, pronounce the consonants and the vowels the way that you do in Hebrew, it comes out to what we can best guess as Yahweh. That his name, when he says, I am who I am, my name is I am, this is the name you were to refer to me from now until the end of time, his name becomes Yahweh, which goes along with why we sang the song, Yahweh. You may have never heard that word before, but that's the name of God according to what God gives to Moses at this moment in time. So the question becomes, what does this mean? What does this reveal about the character of God if names really mean something? And they do. In the Old Testament, every name really meant something. It described the character of the person who had the name, and God would often change the name to match the new character of a person. What does the name of God reveal about who he is? God says, this is my name forever, and the name by which I should be remembered From generation to generation, what that would mean for us is this is the name that God wants to reveal himself to us, and this is the name that we should know him by. If you don't know this name and you don't understand the character behind the name, this is for you because this will change how you see God. God says, this is my name. My name is Yahweh. This is how I'm to be referred, 
It is closely tied, by the way, Yahweh will be closely tied to the name Yeshua, which is the name for Jesus, but that's a whole nother story. Well, there are four revelations, four parts of the definition that I want to give you today as we wrap this up about what God's name means. Four revelations about this idea of yod heh Yahweh, that we need to understand and take personal into our lives so that we can relate to him on a completely different level. The first one, the first part of the four-part definition is this, that Yahweh, yod heh is the self-existent eternal God. And that's where he said, I am. What that means is this, God exists. He has always existed and he always will exist. God also has absolutely no need of us. Now, for some of you that really, um, that, that little fact could be a little bit offensive because you want to feel significant. Well, well the truth of the matter, according to this definition, definition is God needs no one. God is self-existent, God is eternal, God exists in and outside of himself. The rest of us need God in order to survive, but he needs nothing. He does not need anyone, he does not need anything, he does not need us at all. It is awesome, as we get into the next part, that he still chooses to have a relationship with us, but he does not need anything. His existence is described in this way. He is the I am, he has always been, he always will be, he doesn't need anyone. In John 1.1, it says this of who Jesus is. Jesus is there at the very beginning of creation. He is fully God, was part of the Trinity as the world was formed. So he is part of the self-existent eternal God. And Jesus says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, what is the definition of the word? The word is the logos, and it was understood in Greek philosophy that the idea of logos is the meaning behind everything. And he's saying this, that God is the one behind everything. God existed from the beginning. He always was. He always will be. In the beginning was the meaning behind it all. It is God. He is self-existent. He is the eternal God. In Revelation twenty-two thirteen, 13, it says this of God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the self-existent God. He doesn't need anyone. He doesn't need anything. He was not like us and then became a God, as is taught in Mormon belief, for example. He was always God. There is only one God. He is in three parts, Father, Son, and Spirit. There has never been any other He is the self-existent God. He was not once a man and became a God over his planet. And there are not other gods over other planets that were once men like us. That is a false doctrine and a false teaching. He is the self-existent eternal God. Being the self-existent eternal God, though, he is also, and this is part of the definition of Yahweh, he is also the relational God. Though he is self-existent and eternal, he is also completely relational. In the Bible, any time the name of God is used, this tetragrammaton, the Y-H-W-H, the yod heh vav heh any time that is used in the Bible, it was always dealing with relationship with mankind. 
If he wanted to show himself as the supreme creator over his creation, it was always Elohim. But if he is relating to people personally, it is always this idea of Yahweh. What it tells us is this, is that his first priority in relating to us is making sure that, he, that we understand that he is the intensely personal God. I would explain it this way. God does not need anyone, but he chooses us to have a relationship with us, and we desperately need him. I was driving by, um, I think I was with the kids, and I was driving by the, uh, the Hampton Hotel over here on, uh, on 2nd, and I was driving by that, and they've got the Tesla power charging stations. Have you guys seen that there? I don't, I don't know if anybody in town has a Tesla, but it's there uh, in case you do or ever get one. Um, I'd like to drive it if you do get it. I just want to see what it's like, so please let me know. Um, but I was driving by it thinking that's kind of the picture of what what we need. We need to be charged by God in order to go and function in life. Like a Tesla needs that charging station to power up. If you don't have that power, it will sit there, be dead, and good for nothing. We have to be powered up like that. We need to be charged. God doesn't have to be. God is always himself. He's always self-existent, but he chooses with us to have a relationship with us. In that relationship with us, we go to him in order to have that charge so that we can do life and live life and experience life. He's like, for us, that charging station. I know it's kind of a crude analogy, but it's kind of what he is. We see in the beginning of Exodus chapter 3 the nature of how God is a relational God. And I want to show you this because this is so amazing to me. It's one of those things that we just gloss over often. But when you sit back and you read it and you really absorb it, you see how God loves us. By the way, this section in Exodus 3 is the gospel message in the Old Testament. Look at what it says. Exodus 3, verses 7 and 8. And I want to highlight some of these words for you. Then Adonai said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt I have heard their cry because of their slave masters. I know their pains. Therefore, so, I have come down. Why have I come down? I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land into a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is absolutely amazing when you take it personally. I want you to hear this through your own ears with how this works in your life. God says to you, perhaps he says to Stephen here, he says, Stephen, I have seen exactly what you're going through. I have seen the mess. I've seen the trauma. I've seen the abuse. I've seen all of the things in your life. Now, I'm not saying Stephen had all of that. Don't, don't assume all of that with him. I'm just saying it in general. I have seen it all. Nothing escapes God's sight. He knows what's going on because that's what he's going to say. He says, not only have I seen it, I've heard it with my ears. I've heard your cries. I've heard your pleas. I've heard your pain. I've heard your sobbing. I've heard you behind closed doors crying out to me. I've heard the suffering in your life. I know 
I know your pain. God is not so disengaged and uninvolved that he does not know. He says, I know your pain. I've seen your your pain. I've heard your pain. I know it. God could then just say, tough, you're on your own. Go ahead, enjoy life. Do it your own way. But what does he say? He says, because of that, because I've seen it, because I've heard it, because I know it, I'm not content just leaving you alone. Therefore, I have, I have come down with the purpose of wanting to deliver you. Not only to deliver you, I want to bring you up and I want to bring you out and I want to take you into a land of blessing. That's the good news of the gospel. That's also exactly what Jesus did. God says, I have heard their pain. I have seen their sufferings. I know the pain in their lives. Therefore, Jesus says, I have come down. I have walked among them. I have have been their deliverer. I want to bring them up and out of where they're at into a good and spacious land. God is a relational God by nature. And that's what the word Yahweh means. It means he is self-existent and eternal, yet highly and deeply relational. What an incredible thing that is, that we have a God like that. And that's what is implied in his name, Yahweh. Third part that is implied, and just two more, and I'll go through these quickly. Yahweh is also meanings, and it means when he says, I am, it means that he is always present. He is the always present God. He's the always present God. He is, he is always there. He is existing right now. You probably don't have much of an issue with this, but somebody who doesn't know him or has walked away from him, this can be the biggest source of comfort in their lives, knowing that God hasn't abandoned them. He hasn't rejected them. He hasn't left them on their own. He has not disengaged with humanity. He is there. Well, this is what it says in the word of God. And this should be an encouragement to all of us that he is right there. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, he is there. In Hebrews 13, 5, which is a quote of Deuteronomy 31, the writer of Hebrews says, Keep your lifestyle free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For God himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So with confidence, we say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what will man do to me. Deuteronomy, which is what it quotes, is this. Be courageous, do not be afraid or tremble before them. For Adonai, your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or abandon you. Adonai, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or abandon you. Do not fear or be discouraged. So he reiterates it constantly. I will be with you. That is good news when we know that we are in suffering and pain. That God is a highly relational God that says, I will be with you. If you have lost a loved one, the comfort of God is the fact that he will be with you in the midst of your pain. If you have gone through a divorced situation and it was not something that you wanted to do, it was was a painful experience, God has said, I will be with you. I will walk through this with you. If you're at a job and the job is stressful and burdensome, when you go to work, God has promised, I will be with you. I will be right there by your side. I will help you and comfort you. I will not abandon you. You do not have to fear people. On the other side of that 
it's also kind of a scary thing. Because if you are in willful or disobedient sin, you've got sin that is active in your life, God is also right there and he knows exactly what you're going through. Do you know that it it says in Hebrews 4.13, no creature is hidden from him, but all are naked and exposed. That's kind of a a troubling word, isn't it? Everything about you, it's naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In Jeremiah 23, 24, can anyone hide himself in the places so secret that I will not see him, says God? Do I not fill heaven and earth? It's a declaration. It's a promise. It's a guarantee of the Lord, of Adonai. God is with you. But if you were in willful disobedient sin, he also knows exactly what's going on and he is still calling you to repent. He is the self-existent God. He is the relational God. He is the always present God. And then I want to wrap it up with this, the fourth one. He is also the unchanging promise-keeping God. This is called the covenant-keeping God. By definition, this is the four parts of the definition of when he says, this is my name, my name is yod heh vav Hey. my name is Yahweh. When you call me, this is who you're talking to. When you, when you teach your kids, this is who you teach them about. This is my nature, this is my character, this is who I am. I am self-existent, I am eternal, I am though also relational, I am always present in your life, I will keep my covenant, I will keep my promise, I will never change. You ever been around somebody who's always changing? It's like you can't keep up with them. They're always changing all the time. They're changing jobs. They're changing ideas and opinions. They're changing styles. They're changing decorating. They're changing, uh, they're, they're, they're changing opinions. All kinds of change all the time. You can't keep up with it. Herculitis once said these words. He said, there is nothing permanent except change. Well, that's true. There is nothing permanent except this idea of change. Our world is constantly shifting. It's constantly changing. Everything is subjective. Everything is moving. Everything changes from one day to the next. It is always changing. In the midst of that world, God reminds us and says, wait a second, I don't change. My word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. My ideas are the same yesterday, today, and forever. My standards are the same. My love is the same. My relationship with you is the same. I will not change. I will not break my word. We have all had people in our lives who have let us down. We have all been disappointed. We have all had people break their word and break their promises to us. Nobody's without exception. You all have had that. We have all had that in our lives. For some, it's been major promises broken. For others, you feel like, well, it's been promises. Maybe they've been a little bit more minor, but they have been broken. When you come to God, you are coming to the one who will never break his word. He will never break his promise to you. If he said it, it is true. If he promised it, it is a guarantee. He will fulfill what he has said, because that is the nature of God. He is not like mankind. He does not break his word. If he says it, it is true. Malachi 3.6 alludes to this. 
For I am Adonai, I do not change. So you children of Jacob are not consumed. So, so what does that mean? If I changed children of Jacob, Israel, I would have wiped you off the face of the earth a long time ago. I would have consumed you. But I said I wouldn't. I will not change. I will keep my word. In Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not a man who lies or a son of man who changes his mind. Does he speak and then not do it or promise and not fulfill it? God keeps his word. Do you know that the Bible is filled with the promises of God? I would encourage you to get a notepad and start at the beginning of your Bible and as you read through the Bible, you write down every promise that God has made to, to people. If you start writing down every promise that he has made to people, you will have a list, notebooks full. As you read through that list, you will then remember the fact that God is a never-changing God. He is a covenant-keeping God. Every promise he made, he will fulfill. I, I picked out just a handful just to encourage you with what God has said. And let me just read through these. And these are just a small little handful of all that I had time to put up on the screen. Look at what these are. Here's just some of the promises. God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We already looked at that one. He said, I will remember your sins no more. I will cleanse you from all iniquity. I will give you rest. I will give you strength. I will supply all your needs. By the way, he doesn't say once, he just says needs. I will never stop loving you. I will give you, it should be peace of mind and heart, not please of mind, peace of mind and heart. I will not condemn you. I will save you. I will make you free. I will give you eternal life. That's just a handful. That, that's, not even, that's not even a fraction of what the Bible says about the promises that he has made to his people. If God has said it, he will fulfill it. If he has said it, it is true. And that's who our God is. Yahweh, the yod Hey vav Hey, the tetragrammaton, when he comes to Moses and says, tell them I am has sent you. Tell them, I am who I am. That is my name. You should know this name, he says. You should teach it to all generations. Every generation will know this is who I am. What he's saying to them and to us is this, that he is the self-existent eternal God who needs no one, yet he's the God who chooses to have a relationship with us because in his name, he is implying that he is the relational God. He also implies in his name that he is the always present God, and he also is implying in his name that he is the covenant-keeping God, the unchanging God, the promise-keeping God. That's the God that we serve. Not only is he Elohim, but his name is Yahweh, and we worship that name. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, I pray that this would be a source of learning and encouragement for all who were involved here today. That we would be encouraged to realize and recognize that you are the eternal self-existent God. That you are the God who is in absolute control. You need nothing. You do not need us. You were there from the beginning. You will be there at the end. You have always been and always will be. You are the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. The beginning and the end. 
Yet at the same time, you are the God who desires relationship with people. You have not just abandoned the world. You have just not uh, left us alone. You have not just disengaged and rejected us. You have desired relationship with us. That following you is not about religion. It is truly about relationship. You are the relational God who is always present. That's both good and bad at times. Good that you are right there with us, that you don't let us go through something, that you're not right there, that you are the comforter and the, the one who comes alongside us as we go through life. And you are also the God who sees in the secrets, you see in the dark places, you know there's nothing we can hide from you. Everything is open and exposed before you. And so, Lord, help that to be a source of desiring to repent and to say, God, I want to be right. You see it. You know it. I'm not fooling you. And so, Lord, help me to make sure that my life, our lives are right. And we thank you that you are the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping, unchanging God. Your word will not fail. The things that you said have either happened or will happen. The promises that you have given are for today as much as they were for thousands of years ago. Your word does not fail. Your promises are true. You are not like man who lies or who changes his mind. You are the God who is unchanging. And we can hold on to that. You're like a rock. You're our anchor that we can dig our lives into. Father, thank you so much for meeting with us. Thank you that we can know you as the great I am, as Yahweh, as the unchanging God. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.